Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, let's get into the message. I'd like to do something we don't normally do on a Sunday morning. I know that many people are going to be watching online this week in light of COVID out there. So I'm going to look into this camera and we're going to all cheer. Let's welcome all of those that are stepping into the 6 p.m. service. Good to have you with us. Or whatever time it posts onto YouTube, I don't know. Uh, Today we are going into week two of a series that we started last weekend and consequently the theme for 2022 here at the Father's House. Uh, We're calling this series By Faith. Last year, if you were around, you know that our theme for 21 was Dare to Hope. We got songs about it. We got merch about it. We got all the stuff. The, The Holy Spirit had spoken to us and encouraged us to be hopeful people, those who dared to hope in the midst of hopeless situations. And we had plenty of those to speak of last year. But as we were preparing for 2022 and stepping into this year, we felt another invitation from the Holy Spirit to not just be hopeful people, but to be faith-filled people. And then last week, we, we determined that there is a difference between those two things. Hope says, I believe that God can do it. Faith says, I'm going to live as if he's already done it. Faith is confident. Faith, as David was alluding to a moment ago, steps out of the boat into the middle of the storm. Faith chases down Jesus in a crowd and clings to the hem of his garment and says, I refuse to let go until I get the healing that I came for. Faith, like blind Bartimaeus, calls out from the side of the road. And even when everyone is telling you to shut up and Jesus wants nothing to do with you, you continue to lift up your voice and you say, no, I'm going to get his attention because I know if he will turn his face towards me that I'll experience the healing that I desperately need. Faith opens up the doors on a Sunday morning, even in the midst of a COVID Sunday. Faith does the aggressive, the audacious. It goes beyond the things that make sense and the logical. Faith asks things that make you a little bit nervous in prayer because you know that only God can do those sorts of things. Faith trusts in ways that that make no sense. And as we step into this year, we really believe that God is calling us to be those kinds of people. The people that do kind of ridiculous things. The people that step out of boats and take risks. And the people that others look at and they say, why would you do that? Why would you say that? How could you believe for that? But we know that faith is our portion because we serve a big God. That's the kind of people God's calling us to be this year. And to become those people, uh, we are looking at a passage of scripture for the next few weeks found in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Some scholars and theologians have have called it the hall of faith. And uh, it doesn't just define faith, it, it actually displays it for us in the lives of many of those who came before us. And our key text is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, we studied this last week, but Uh, For recap, it says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It is the evidence of things we can't see. By faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. And by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed not by the word of, excuse me, by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And if you were here last week, or if you caught it online, you'll recall that the entirety of the sermon was in that portion of scripture, and We looked at that definition. We broke it down. We determined that that word confidence in the Greek is the word hypostasis, and it means the substructure or the foundation. In other words, faith defined, faith is the foundation. It's the substructure. It is the entirety of what this thing called Christianity is built upon. If we try to build our lives on anything other than faith, it is only a matter of time before it crumbles. Faith 
if, if it is a foundation, we determined that we needed to do a couple of things to ensure that we were building on that foundation. And so three simple things we determined to do this year. We said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're reading through the Bible, as David mentioned a moment ago. By the way, that is an impressive statistic that 300 people in the church are reading the Bible every single day. So that's awesome. Uh, secondly, we determined that faith comes by fasting. And we are six days into a seven-day fast. Uh, we are skinny, but we are full of faith. <laughs> I am never, I've never been more hungry than I am right now. I look great right now, though, I'll tell you what. I'm considering not eating from now on. It's going to be awesome, but I'm starting to see a couple little stomach muscles pop through there. It's great. Lastly, we determined that faith comes by remembering. Sometimes you got to look back in order to move forward. And when we recall the faithfulness of God in the past... We move forward in faith for the future. Now, having established this foundation in week one, we get to graduate to the next verse in this chapter, verse four. And that's where we're going to spend all of our time today in Hebrews 11.4. We see here now the first of these examples of people who lived before us that showed us what it looked like to live by faith. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. And then look at this last line. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. That that line jumped off the page and slapped me this week. I said to myself, that's the kind of life I want to live. I want to live a life where after I'm gone, after I've passed into eternity, people still point back to my life and say, even though he's long dead, It's a weird way to refer to me. But even though he's long dead, he still speaks by his example of faith. May that be all of our portion today. May we live lives that outlive us. May it be said of us when we die, you know what, even though Chris is long dead, we still get to look at his life and we see his example of faith. Even though Robin is long dead, please don't die anytime soon, please. I need you. I don't know how to raise these kids on my own. But we can look back and see the example of their faith. I I want that to be written on my gravestone that his life still speaks. Now, as we look at this text, I'm not gonna assume that everybody in the room knows the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, Maybe you've read it before, but the details are a bit foggy. So before we get too deep into this message, I'd like to go back, if we could, to uh, the beginning in the book of Genesis, or uh, Genesis, if you're ghetto. And uh, we're gonna look at this story. (laughs) That was not that funny. We're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel and just jog our memories so we know what we're talking about. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It says this, Now Adam made love to his wife Eve. Okay, PG-13 Bible, let's go. Made love to his wife and he put a baby in her. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and she named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, be warned, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
Based on that last sentence in that scripture, I want to call this chat today, open the door, open the door, which might sound counterintuitive in light of the fact that we just learned what's at the door, but it will make sense later. Open the door. Uh, let me pray briefly and, and we'll move on. Jesus, we invite you right now to speak to us through your word. Our hearts are open. Our minds are open. Uh, we want to receive from you today. I thank you that your presence is already among us and we know that you are here because you want to address some areas of our hearts, some areas of our thinking, some areas of our lives, and to set us on the right course. And so we just give you permission today to move, adjust, speak, to convince us of things that maybe we didn't realize before we walked into this room. And if Abel, in fact, still speaks through his life of faith, we just say our, our ears are tuned and we are listening to what you want to say. We receive all that you want to do in our lives today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I don't know if this happens to you, but it, it often happens to me as I'm reading through Scripture, specifically through the Old Testament. But there are times when I read the Bible, and, and as I'm reading a story, I think to myself, that just doesn't seem very fair. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I think a lot of us have this idea of God's character, his nature. You've seen the painting on your grandma's wall. He's a surfer with blonde curly hair and blue eyes, very American Jesus, and holding a lamb. And then we read stories in the Bible and we're like, wait a minute, where's the lamb holding blonde hair Jesus? That, that doesn't sound like him. Like, for example, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll stumble across a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And God tells Ezekiel to lay on his side for 430 days and then to cook all of his food over a steaming pile of horse manure. That doesn't sound very appealing. It does not make me want to become a prophet. And when I think about that, I go, that just doesn't seem very fair. That's, that doesn't sound like the God I know. Uh, how about Uzzah, another guy from the Old Testament? And as the Israelites are bringing the Ark of God back from the Philistines into Jerusalem, uh, the Ark is about to fall off the side of a cart, and Uzzah reaches out and grabs the, the Ark to stabilize it so it doesn't fall. And as a result of touching the Ark he wasn't supposed to touch, he gets killed. I think that's not very fair. He was just trying to make sure it didn't fall and you kill the guy? It just doesn't seem right. Or, or Jephthah. If these names are foreign to you, they're all in there, I promise. I'm not making this stuff up. They're at least in my Bible. Jephthah, he goes out to fight the Ammonites, and he makes this ridiculous promise to God. He says, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I, I will give you the first thing that walks out of the door of my home. And after he comes home from fighting the Ammonites, his daughter walks out the front door, and she pays the price for his ridiculous promise to God. A head scratch, things that you look at and you go, this just does not seem fair. It doesn't seem to align with the character and the nature of God. And as I read this story of Cain and Abel, at least at face value, for me, it falls into that category. It falls into the category of stories that, that don't seem all that fair. Think about it. You got these two brothers. You got Cain, you got Abel. And both of these brothers decide that they are going to bring an offering to God, which sounds like a good thing, does it not? I'm going to bring an offering to God. There's lots of people that don't do that. And these two brothers decided they're going to bring an offering to God. And yet God accepts one brother's offering, but he rejects the other. It says that Cain, he, he brings an offering of his harvest, his fruits and his vegetables at the time of harvest. He brings them to the Lord. And his brother Abel brings an offering of, of lambs, a portion of his lambs to God and sacrifices them to God. And God accepts the offering of lambs and meat and he rejects the offering of fruits and vegetables. 
further confirmation that God is not a vegan. Just throwing that out there for, that's theologically accurate. You need to understand that. He watched the game changers and he's like, nope, that ain't me. I'm sorry. I'm a meat guy, bacon. Come on, I made that food. It applauds itself when it's cooking, okay? You'll get that joke later. It's great. Just kidding. That's not what it means. But, but when you read the story, it, it, you're like, okay, why did you accept one guy's offering and reject the other? It just does not seem fair. Furthermore, how does this offering that Abel brings allow him to make it into the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 as the first example of a man who lived a life of faith? What about this offering was so faith-filled? Well, to answer that question, we need to dissect this scripture a little bit. And specifically, we need to look at three words that are mentioned in Genesis chapter four. Uh, Let's go back to this text and I will provide emphasis on a few of those words so that we can kind of break this down. It says this, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some, everybody say some, some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best, everybody say best, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. If you're a note-taking type, I want you to write down those three words. Some, best, and first. Some, best, and first. In those three words, we discover the difference between these two offerings. In those three words, we, di- we discover why God was willing to accept Abel's offering and why he rejected Cain's. And, and in those three words, we see displayed perhaps the most consistent and the most aggressive test that we will face in all of Christianity when it comes to our faith. Some, best, and first. Uh, Let's start with some. The, The word some, according to the English dictionary, is defined like this. A small amount or a small number. Some, it denotes a portion. It's not nothing, It is something. Wow. (laughs) Super deep, I know, right? It's something. But as it pertains to this conversation, is it the right something? I think to truly understand these offerings, we need to kind of place ourselves in the text, read between the lines a little bit and fill in some blanks. So it tells us that, that Cain, he offers some of his harvest. It is apparently harvest time. The fields are ripe for the harvest and he goes out and he brings in all that the fields have produced and the trees have produced and he gathers together all of his fruits and his vegetables and according to this, he takes what he needs from his harvest and then based on what he has left over, he brings a portion of that as an offering to God. And again, that that doesn't really seem like a bad thing right? There's probably plenty of farmers on the earth in this time that aren't giving God anything. They're not, they're not bringing an offering of their crops to God. So to bring something to God seems noble. It seems admirable. And if this was the only offering on the altar that day, perhaps it would have been acceptable, but it wasn't. Why? Because Cain had a younger brother. Anyone with a younger sibling? No? Okay. I'm I'm the only one here? Okay, good. (laughs) And here comes the younger sibling. And I don't know how it works in your family, 
but the younger siblings seem to do no wrong. No matter what they bring, it's okay. The older one always gets in trouble. And here comes Abel skipping along as the younger sibling. Hello, Lord, I've also brought you an offering. And his offering's a little different than Cain's. And the Lord begins to compare these two offerings. It says that, that, that Abel, he brings to God the best of the firstborn lambs in his flock. Apparently, Abel looks at the lambs that were firstborn, and he begins to inspect them. He finds the strongest, the best-looking, the ones with the longest horns, and those that represent the most prospect for the future, the ones that you would normally hold on to yourself and mate them so that you could create a, a super flock. Instead of holding on to those, he, he gives the best of the first as an offering to God. Are you following? Now, let me say it like this. Perhaps the best way to delineate between these two offerings is to say it this way. Abel gave the best, but Cain offered the rest. Cain consumed for himself what he needed first. It was a me first, God second mentality. I'm going to take what I need. I will look at the leftovers that are, that are present and I will give God some, a small portion of my leftovers. But Abel said, my God is worthy of the best. He's worthy of the first. I'm not going to give him the leftovers of my life. I'm going to give him the prized possession. I'm not going to cling to that myself. I'm going to give it to him, trusting that he will give me everything I need in return. Abel brought the best and Cain brought the rest. Now, that displays the quality difference between these two offerings. Tells us why one looked a little bit better than the other. But it does not tell us why Abel is listed in Hebrews chapter 11. It doesn't really display faith. And yet we are told that this is an offering, in fact, the offering that made it first in the list among the heroes of faith. So we must ask ourselves the question, what about this offering was so faith-filled? How, by bringing the first, did Abel become this great man of faith? Well, again, if you're a note-taker, write this down. Here's why. It's going to sound simple, but I'll break it down. The first takes faith. The first takes faith. You know why the first takes faith? Because when you give God the first of something, you do not know if there's going to be a second. The first takes faith because once you give the first to God, you don't know if there is the promise of future provision, but you are placing your trust in something you cannot see and something that you do not know necessarily in the natural, but in faith, you're believing that God is going to provide on the other side of your sacrifice. The first takes faith because you don't know if there's gonna be a second. Some of you got that, others did not. So allow me to break it down by illustration with a rubber chicken, as one does. Let's pretend that you are stranded on an island. And after scouring the island for days, you have been unable to locate a food source and you are now nearly starving to death. And as you lay there and you begin to think about your life, all the things that you wished you, this is getting really sad, uh, you wish you had done, <laughs> 
out of the blue, you just hear a sound from the other side of the island. <laughs> and because you're prophetic, you know it's a chicken, because that sounds nothing like a chicken, but... Oh, it's a little better, okay. And you think to yourself, was that, was that a chicken? It's a chicken! And so you run to the other side of the island, and, and lo and behold, you find this little chicken there. And suddenly, as you lay eyes on the chicken, you begin to see these visions of, of, of chicken wings and mango salsa and, you can tell we're fasting, <laughs> barbecue and <laughs> the plum chicken breast is so good and it's juicy. And, and just as you're about to slaughter this sucker and make yourself a little barbecue, you have a thought. Like, I need to check something out. And so you do a little inspection and you notice it's a female chicken. And you think to yourself, that means I could get some eggs out of this thing. So instead of just getting a single meal, you decide to hold out to see if you can have a sustainable food source on your island, if you can have eggs. But you know that the chicken requires certain environments to lay eggs. They need to be relaxed and at ease. And so, you know, you start giving the chicken a couple of little massages and start speaking kind words to it. You're amazing, and I believe in you. You can do it, and you, you make a little nest for the chicken, and uh, you, you lay it down there at night, and you, you start playing Enya in the background for a reproductive environment, and light a few candles around it. You have no food, but you have all of these other sources on your, on your island. It's great. <clears throat> And, and most importantly, you decide, well, I should pray for this chicken because, you know, God is the source of all life. And, and so you, you take the chicken, excuse me, and you hold it up to the Lord and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, right now I pray for an egg. God, I believe that you are the source of all things. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would come to this house and you would give me, and you just intercede for an egg. And after days of praying and believing and hoping and trusting, suddenly you just hear a, and you look down into the nest and there's an egg. And you are so, thank you, Jesus. You provided for all of my needs. I knew if I was just patient. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. I'm a man of God and I was patient and I got an egg out of the deal. And just about the moment you're going to crack open this egg and make yourself an overdue omelet, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And he reminds you of this principle, that the first and the best belong to God. And suddenly you have a decision on your hands. Am I going to eat the egg or am I going to give the egg back to God, trusting that if he was the one who provided it in the first place, he can provide another egg from my chicken friend. And because you are a person of faith, you choose the latter. You lay the egg before the Lord and you say, this I give unto thee, trusting that you're going to give me another egg in return. The first takes faith because you don't know if there's gonna be another egg. You don't know if that was a one-time event or if God's going to continue to cause your chicken to reproduce. But by faith, you give him the first, trusting that he can give you the rest. That's faith. 
This is why God accepted Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's offering. It had nothing to do with the quality of the cuisine. This was not God looking at the offerings and saying, the lamb I have accepted, but the kale salad I have rejected. This is not God looking at what he was being offered and saying, well, one of your offerings looks a little bit better than the others. God does not look at offerings that way. He doesn't say that person was able to give thousands of dollars and you in your poverty were only able to give $5. And so I'm going to accept the bigger offering and not accept the little offering. This is not how it works. It is not a question of the quality of the offering. It says that God looked at the heart of man because that's where God looks. And he saw that one man in the two was willing to trust him. This was, a, this was an issue of trust. This was not a question of quality. This was a test of trust. And friends, it is the most consistent test that you will face on this side of heaven. Will I trust God with the first and the best of my life or will I consume it for myself? In fact, not only is it the most consistent, according to this scripture, it's one of the most aggressive temptations that you will face. Genesis says this, it's like sin crouching at the door of your heart waiting to pounce on you. That is exactly the imagery that you were expected to get. You're thinking Discovery Planet right now? That's exactly how it is. It's that lion in the weeds waiting for that antelope to take him out. There he is. He's in the Tulis. He's in his natural habitat. He's waiting to see if you're going to come out the door. Come on, I'm going to get him. I'm going to pounce on him. Eh? That's, that's what this is like. It's like a lion waiting in the reeds to pounce on you and take you out. The constant perpetual temptation. Will I take the first or will I offer it back to God? And so to that, end, let, me, let me ask you a question, which we'll break down a little bit. But as we do every single week, let me ask a question to confront all of us with the content that we're looking at today. When it comes to your life, who gets the first and the best and who gets the rest? Who gets the rack of lamb out of the oven? Who gets the plate of leftovers out of the microwave? Who gets the first and the best and who gets the rest? We don't deal in lambs and lettuce, so let's, let's talk about some modernity here. Who, who gets the the first and the best of your affections? Who gets the first and the best of your attention? Who gets the first and the best of your devotion and your passions? Who gets the first and the best of your day, your morning, when you wake up? Who gets the first? Is it your favorite news channel? Is it social media app? Is it the notifications from Slack from your coworkers? Is it the emails that are waiting to be read? Is it the stock market? Who, who, who gets the first and the best of your day? I know this sounds silly, but one of the commitments I made in 2022 is that I wanted to make sure that the first thing my eyes laid on in the morning was the scriptures. First thing I saw was the word of God. Uh, like many, I would assume in the morning when I'd wake up and the alarm would go off, I would roll over and I would grab the phone and then I would sit in bed for about five minutes scrolling through the phone. It's convicting for some. I can see you nodding your head at me right now. Yeah, you know who you are. And just going through the news and going through the stock market, going through the stuff. And 
I thought, wait a minute, this is, this is the most important part of my day. This is the first moment of my day, and that's the first thing I'm gonna look at. And in 2022, I want the word of God to be the first thing that I set my eyes on. Why? Because often what gets the first of me gets the best of me. If I lay eyes first on an email from somebody who was angry with me about something I said, that's gonna get the best of me that morning, which happens on a pretty regular basis in my life. If I, first thing I lay my eyes on in the morning is, a, is, is the, the news telling me something else negative or a post on social media or a dropping stock market or whatever. By the time I get into the word of God uh, 30, 45 minutes later, my mind is so wrapped up in the other things that I'm thinking about that I'm giving God a bunch of leftovers instead of giving him the best of my life. So I said, no, the first thing I wanna look at in the morning is the word of God. Who gets the first of your day? I'm dead. Thank you. I, I don't need applause, but thank you. <laughs> How about this? Who gets the first and the best of your talents and your giftings? We spent the fall talking about the gifts, the fact that all of us are divinely enabled by God to do something. Those gifts and talents that we think might be natural are probably not all that natural. They were divinely inspired. And God gave us those gifts so that we could serve the body, serve the church. That's the purpose of our gifts. Let me ask, what have you done with that information? Have you stepped in and begin to use your gifts for the purpose of building God's church? Or are you still giving the first and the best of your, your giftings and your talents to the employer or to the hobby, to the passion? Who gets the first and the best of those? How about this? Who, who gets the first and the best of your calendar, of your time? So you were to dial in all of the stuff in the calendar and look at, hey, where are my priorities? Is God getting a good chunk of your priority? Let me just say this, not to be dogmatic, but what we're doing right now, sitting in this building, hearing the word of God, lifting up the name of Jesus in worship, gathering together with other believers, eating donuts perhaps after the service, all of that, very holy unto the Lord. This is a big deal to God. You know why? Because this is the first day of the week. Sunday is the first day. I, it's not Monday. We all went to the same preschool, right? You remember the song? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, days of the week, days of the week. Yeah, okay. Sunday and there's Monday. Yeah, this is the first day of the week. And you know what, what you do when you make a fierce commitment to be in the house of God on a Sunday morning? By action, you are saying, God, I am giving you the first day of my week, trusting if I give you the first, that you will bless the rest of my week. You're giving the first to God. So, so, so let me ask, is there a, that kind of a fierce commitment in you? And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here on a Sunday where... There's a lot of reasons to not be around a lot of other people right now. But just for the sake of the message, let me ask, is that fierce commitment, does it, does it live and breathe on the inside of you? Or is church one of those things that falls down on the priority list with brunch on Sunday morning and your kids' extracurricular activities and the sports teams and if your team is playing during church hours and if there's a new restaurant around the corner from you and hanging out with the family and a lot of other things that people do on a Sunday morning. And listen, all of those things are great. Th those are not bad things. But when good things take the place of God things, they become idols and it becomes sin. So, so, so who gets the first and the best of your calendar? Since it's already quiet in here, let's go ahead and talk about one more awkward one. Who gets the first and the best of your money, of your finances? 
let's, let's, let's get awkward for a couple of moments because ultimately this is what this is about. This is a story of, yes, harvest fruits, vegetables, lambs, but that was their currency in their day. If you needed a tunic, you'd go trade a lamb in for it at the marketplace. So we're talking about resources here. And Cain consumed his resources for himself and then he decided, I'll give God a tip, a portion of the leftovers. But Abel said, before anybody else is honored, I'm gonna honor God with the first and the best of my resources. So let me ask, who is honored first and best in your resource? Because who you pay first is who you honor most. Does the mortgage company and the landlord get more honor than God? Does Netflix and Comcast get more honor than God? It is really quiet. Does DoorDash and Whole Foods get more honor than God? I don't need to point to statistics to say for some, yeah, it, it, it is. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or ashamed. I'm just saying, is God worth that kind of honor? Because it says in Proverbs 3, as we quoted earlier, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of everything that your life produces. When we make a decision to put God first, we're saying, I will not let the food get more honor than my God. I will not let the mortgage company get more honor than my God. I will not let my favorite show that I watch at nighttime get more honor than God. I'm gonna give God the first and the best of my life because he is worthy of everything. He's worthy. Who gets the first, best? Who gets the rest? And, and let's not forget that if we live this leftover life of giving God the rest, it's not just that God feels dishonored in the process. According to this story, he actually rejects it. He, he's not celebrating a leftover life. He's not saying, okay, I'll, 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 I guess that'll do, Cain. I mean, I know it's not much, but you know, I'll just try better, a little, a little better next time, buddy. According to the scripture, he, he rejects it flat out. He's not interested in your leftover time. He's not interested in your leftover affections. He's not interested in anybody's leftover life. It's so funny, we live in this culture in, in, in America, this American Christianity, where we just, we love giving ourselves praise for mediocre performance. It's just what we do. We're like, you did such a great job. You tried a little bit, here's a trophy. Like, that's the world we live in. And I think if we're not careful, we can begin to apply that to our faith and we can start to feel good about the fact that, man, I went to church one time in the last eight and a half weeks. I opened up my Bible once this month. I, I gave 20 bucks to that initiative at Thanksgiving so that that family could get fed. I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm sorry if that's offensive, but man, we love to pat ourselves on the back for our mild and that's, that's not Christianity. <laughs> that's not faith. That's not the kind of life that God's looking for. He's not looking for a leftover life. He wants the first and the best. He's looking for the ables that say, you know what? I'm not going to be content to give God a portion or some or the leftover of my affections or the leftover of what I have. I love God more than anything else in this planet, and I am giving him the first and the best of my life. That's the kind of people we're called to be. And, and so 
If in 22, we're going to be these by faith people, we got to get this principle right. Before we study any of the other people in this, this narrative of Hebrews chapter 11, we need to understand the truth of verse four, that we must be first and best people. And, and so with that, I'm going to get ready to conclude because I'm out of time. Band, you guys can come. But uh, I learned a long time ago that every sermon is supposed to have two questions answered. Let's make sure we answer those. Number one, the first question is, what do I want people to know? Well, I think we've made that clear. God is worthy of the first and the best of our life, not the leftovers. But the second question is this, what do I want you to do? And for that, we're gonna come back to our title as we conclude. Our title read like this, open the door. I want you to open the door. Here's what I mean by that. The uh, passage of scripture we read in Genesis chapter four, it uh, tells us that sin is crouching at the door of the heart, waiting to overtake the person who hasn't entered into this lifestyle of first and best yet. I don't know about you, but if I knew that something threatening was crouching at my door, I probably wouldn't walk out my door for a little while. <laughs> there was a lion on your doorstep this morning. There's probably not any lions in, in San Francisco. Uh, let's go with something a little more current. Um, coyote, maybe? No, uh, raccoons, trash pandas hanging out on your doorstep. Okay, I see some heads nodding, yeah. So you got a, you got a family of raccoons just hanging. And those are aggressive little suckers. If you ever try to get them out of your trash cans, they will fight you, okay? You got all these guys hanging out on your doorstep just crouching, waiting for you to come out. You see them on your ring doorbell just waiting for you there. Chances are you're probably not gonna walk out casually at your front door. You're gonna go out the back door or find a way out the basement or some other way to get outside. It seems illogical to suggest that you should go out the door if there's something crouching at the door. But as I was thinking about this imagery this week, the, the Holy Spirit reminded me that sin is not the only thing present on the, the patio of a wayward heart. That there's another on the doorstep with a different motive. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says this, behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Last thought as we conclude today, write this down if you're taking notes. Sin's crouching, but God's knocking. Sin's crouching, but God is standing at that same door knocking. Sin wants to take you out. God wants you to invite him in. Maybe you're here this morning and because I've made you feel ashamed and condemned over this message, <laughs> you feel the weight of what we're talking about right now. I can feel that sometimes in, in a room when you're preaching about a, a difficult subject to swallow. You can feel the room kind of clam up on you and you can feel people wrestling with the tension of what you're discussing. And that is absolutely present in the room today. But I don't wanna leave you in a place of feeling guilty or ashamed or like God is unwilling to accept your life. Maybe there are still some here this morning that would like, like Cain feel like, I look down at all I've got to offer God and it's nothing but a lot full of leftovers. 
I've given the best of myself to others. I've given the first of myself to others. I've consumed it for myself. And all I have is a plate of leftovers to offer unto God. And maybe that leaves you feeling distant from God and rejected, wondering if God wants anything to do with you, if He's willing to be close to you, if He's willing to accept you. I'm here to tell you today, if you feel at a distance, that's the ploy of the enemy. It is not the heart of God. And He still stands on the door of your heart, knocking, asking if you will let Him in. God is not some taskmaster waiting to have you fall in line so that He can finally accept you. No, He's a friend standing at the door, knocking, asking, will you let me in so that we can talk about these things that you're conflicted with? And the best way for you to subdue the enemy crouching on the door of your home is to invite in a greater ally that has already defeated that enemy on the cross, who already put him to death. And in communion with your God, you will find it far easier to live out this principle of giving him the first and the best. Because before he wants the first and the best of what you have, he wants the first and the best of who you are. He wants your heart. And if he has your heart, this is easy. This becomes easy. And so as we conclude today, I wanna invite those who might say, hey Tim, I, I do feel like I'm at a distance from God. I wanna invite you to open up that door. If you feel him knocking, please do not miss this moment. Invite the Lord in, invite the Spirit of God in so that he can dine with you and he'll guide you from this point forward so that you can begin to put this into practice in your life. Let me pray, why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads as we conclude. If that's you this morning, say, hey, Tim, I, I am one of those that feel like I've been at a distance from God and I, and I know I need to get things right with him today. I feel and hear him knocking on my heart and I'm ready to open up the door and, and get things right. Would you, would you just quickly look up at me and raise your hand so that I can pray with you before we conclude today? Thank you, got you right there, bro. Yeah, right there in the back, awesome. Yeah, right on, man, yeah. Yeah, got you, sweetheart. Thanks. Yeah, right there, bro. Yeah, right over here. Awesome. All right, I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. You can just repeat it after me in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I, I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I open the door of my heart to you. I, I know that I've been at a distance know that my sin and my shame has kept me away, but today I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. And I want to live out a new life with you. Help me to follow you, to be your disciple from this day forward. Help me to put you first and everything else in second so that when I enter into eternity, you look me in the eyes, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant enter into the, the joy that's been set before you. Today, I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for every one of those lifting their hands, saying that prayer today? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.